Good morning. Those of you that were here last week, remember that we are started a series called Awesome Relationships. And last week, we spoke about marriage. Well, this week, I'm going to talk about families. Specifically, how do you have an awesome family? You notice in your outline that the title says, Fighting for an Awesome Family. And the word fighting is very intentional. You see, families are not awesome by accident. By accident, families are just average. You have to fight for your family if you want it to be a great family. I don't think I have to spend a lot of time this morning convincing you that there's a lot of forces working against your family in our society. I'm talking about economic forces, spiritual forces, moral forces, cultural, even social forces. And they all want to destroy the idea of family. And specifically, they want to destroy your family. Now, thousands of years ago, there was a man named Nehemiah. And after finding out that the wall of Jerusalem had been destroyed, he was devastated. And through a series of miracles and God finding favor in him, he was able to go back to that wall and to rebuild it. Now, when his enemies found out about that, you know, the same guys that who destroyed the wall in the first place, when they found out about it, well, naturally, they opposed it and wanted to attack them. Now, Nehemiah, he finds out about the plot, and he gives one of the greatest motivational speeches that you can find in the Bible. I mean, it's worthy of a Super Bowl halftime, down by six points kind of speech. This is how good this thing is. And here's what he said to the people in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. Now, you guys ever seen the movie Rudy, where there's a coach and he's giving a speech? Sort of like that, but so imagine that for a second. And here's what he says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, and fight for your daughters, and fight for your wives, and fight for your homes. And he can go on from there. Now, everyone here, no matter who you are, young and old, you guys are all part of a family. You're either a brother or a sister, the child, a mom or a dad or a grandpa. And I've spent the last few weeks going around asking people one question. What is your greatest family memory growing up? And I discovered that there are four things that make an awesome family. Here's what I discovered. I discovered that. <laughs> I discovered that the first symbol of an awesome family is a board game called Candyland. I mean, how many of you guys remember that? How many of you guys hope you never have to play that again? Oh, come on, be honest, just me? Liars. Anyway, you know, this game doesn't require a lot of intelligence to play. In fact, the box says it's for ages three and up. But why does the game Candyland represent awesome families? Well, here's the first reason. You might want to write this down. Because awesome families are playful. It is the first common denominator of a great family that they know how to play, they know how to have fun, and they know how to laugh. They know how to enjoy life together. Unfortunately, I think this is the missing ingredient in so many families today. Today, our families are just so busy. They're running around from practice to this and that, and then they get too tired, and then they, they get all worn out, which in turn makes them too negative. I mean, it's just too serious. I mean, who wants to come home from school to that? Families should be fun. You know, the fact is that your family is not a boot camp, and parents aren't drill sergeants. Just kidding. Somebody hears from <laughs> that would get that. You know, your family is not a business. And parents are not CEOs. There is no perfect child. There is no perfect family. And there is no science. 
No matter how many studies are out there, there's no signs to being an awesome family. You see, it's more of an art. I mean, look at what the wisest man in the Bible said. Solomon says, I command the enjoyment of life. Did you guys know that the Bible says that play is an important part of your life? And play is essential to adults, not just children. And the Apostle Paul said this, God generously gives us everything for our enjoyment. Now, do you realize that everything in the world God created, he created for you to enjoy? You know, God doesn't just want us to endure life. God wants us to enjoy life. Now, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, says that I recommend, he says, I command the enjoyment of life. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says that God created everything for your enjoyment. So that tells us that if you're too busy to enjoy life, then folks, you're too busy. Because God meant for you to play and have fun. The Bible goes on to say that people ought to enjoy every day. Not just the weekend, not just the vacation. Oh, I'm waiting for retirement to enjoy life. Not just for that. He says people ought to enjoy every day of their lives, no matter how long they live. Now, this is important because I think it's no news to you that nothing can guarantee us tomorrow. So whatever living you're going to do, you better start enjoying it now. Don't wait until retirement. Don't wait until the weekend. Don't wait until vacation. You need to start enjoying life right now, even at this moment while you're sitting there trying to take a nap. No, I'm just kidding. You guys don't look like that yet. You know, the, the answer that I kept getting back time and time again when I asked, what is the greatest family memory growing up, was a little surprising to me. Frankly, it was a little shocking because you see... We're in an age of technology and an age of all these different entertainment places, especially in Southern California. The number one answer was not to go to Disneyland or some amusement park, but the number one answer that I got over and over again was to play some type of board game or card game or some type of game with their their parents and family. It wasn't video games. The number two answer was to go to the park with the family, you know, where you can have a picnic and kick or throw the ball around. And the number three answer, which shouldn't be any surprise to you because we're in Southern California, it was to go to the beach. Now, all of these three answers have one common denominator, time with parents, and I mean quality time with parents and family. Now, what's interesting about all of the answers and all the people that I asked have all gone to some pretty exotic locations on vacation. Most of the people I ask have all the toys from the desert toys to the river toys, and they have Disneyland passes. I mean, that's just the kind of stuff that people have around here. You would have figured that one of them, just one of them would have said, I like it when I went to Hawaii or where I went somewhere like that. None of them did. What's even more interesting to me is that I also asked some adults that same question, and every single one of the adults like me said, oh, I remember the exact same thing, playing a game with my family or spending quality time with, oh, it was all game-related and spending time with family. In fact, for me, it is the same thing. I grew up with my mom, and she, she did a bunch of stuff. We had a bunch of fun, but what I remember the most from my mother was that she, we just sat there and talked for hours about her upbringing and her struggles, her success unequivocally, that's what I would say, that is my greatest memory growing up. What's even more interesting is that I asked the adults that same question and said, what do you think your kids would say to that question about what is the greatest memory of your family growing up? And they all said something which was interesting to me. They all said, oh, it's probably the time that we took them to and fill in the name of that trip. 
Now, wait a minute. You just yourself said that your greatest memory was spending time with your parents and family, but yet for your kids, it's taking them on a trip? You know, there's something out of alignment in our thinking, I believe. You know, our kids love stuff. Have you ever noticed that? They'll take all the stuff you can, you can throw at them. They love vacations. They love material stuff. But you know what? They're mostly going to remember the fun and the time that they spent with their family and their, and their parents. I asked my daughter that question, and without thinking, she said her greatest memory was playing a game with her brothers and laughing all the time. You know, for our family, we played board games. I mean, just like, like everybody else said that they played a board game. And it varied depending on who it was. My oldest son, Carlos, who was the guy singing over there, for him, it was Monopoly. We grew up playing Monopoly depending on the age that he was at. You know how they have Monopoly for every age group? Well, we played it hours upon hours from a Friday to a Saturday, and that's all he wanted to play. So we played Monopoly. For my middle son, it was the game of life. For my youngest daughter, it was the game Mousetrap. Do you guys remember Mousetrap? Man, I hate that game. It took forever to set up. I always lost. Even when you're little, you try to make them win, but it didn't matter. For some reason, I lost that game all the time, and I didn't hate playing it with her. I just hated the game itself. You know, we tried playing it about a year and a half ago, and I lost again. It's a dumb game. That's the bottom line. But the point is that we had so much fun. You know, I don't think my kids remember anything of what I said in their early years, or almost anything, but I think they remember how daddy made them feel, how mommy made them feel. Awesome families you see are playful. They're Candyland families. They have a lot of fun. You know, and Solomon gets very specific about the kind of fun that you are supposed to have as a family. And I wrote this down here because this is very important for fathers. It says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Now, if you're here today, dads, the greatest gift that you can give your children is to love their mom, to have fun and enjoy life with their mom whom you love. You know, when a father shows love for a mother, the kids, you know, it just creates this great stability in the kids. It creates this security. It creates this great peace in the heart of children. And it's stuff that they need. You know, unfortunately, sometimes I talk to successful businessmen and they say things like, you know, I don't get it. I give my wife everything she needs, everything she wants. My kids have everything they could possibly want and need. What else do they want? Well, it's pretty simple, isn't it? They want your time. The greatest gift that you can give your kids is your time. So Candyland, you see, is a symbol of an awesome family because awesome families are playful. This is the second symbol of an awesome family. You guys see that? It's a watering can. You know, we use that to water plants and flowers and vegetables. And in many ways, a family is like a garden. You have to grow it. You have to develop it. You have to cultivate it. A garden doesn't grow on its own. In fact, sometimes you have to protect it from predators. Sometimes you have to weed it, which is not fun and painful for the garden. You have to care for it. So this is the second characteristic of an awesome family. Write this down. It says, awesome families encourage growth. One of the things that you do in an awesome family is that you support each other. Your family never stops growing, whether you're a mom, a dad, or a child. Everybody just encourages each other to grow. Now, if you're not growing in your family, you're probably going to tend to be a little boring. 
If you haven't learned anything new or tried anything new uh, in, in a long time, then your family's probably going to get a little boring. I mean, look at how Jesus grew. And this is, this is very important. The Bible tells us in Luke, this is when Jesus was 12 years old. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. Now, notice there's four kinds of growth that you want to have in your family. You grow in wisdom, which is intellectual growth, mental growth, education. You grow in stature, which is physical health. You grow in favor with God, which is spiritual growth. And you grow in favor with man, which that's social growth. Now, every person in your family needs to be growing in all of these four areas, not just education and sports. Kids learn almost everything from their families, like walking and speaking and sharing. And there are some things that must be learned in the home that you can't learn at school or at work. And I tell you this because most of our problems as an adult have to do with the fact that we didn't learn something properly as a child. There are a few things that you must learn in a family that you can only learn in a family. And if you don't learn them, then life's going to be pretty tough for you. You might want to write these down. The first one is how to handle feelings. One of the most important skills of life is how do I handle these emotions that I'm feeling through the different stages of life? What do I do with them? How do I deal with how I feel? You know, in a good, awesome family, first you have to learn how to recognize your feelings. You have to learn how to name them and how to own up to them. How to identify them? How to express them? You know, and you have to express them correctly, not incorrectly. And you have to teach them not to stuff it down, not to sweep it under the rug. In other words, you have to deal with how you feel. And if you don't learn with how to deal with your, how you feel in your family, then you're going to tend to go through life as an emotional cripple. Or you're probably going to have to relearn that somewhere else and it's going to be painful. And one of the reasons why so many marriages split up today is because they didn't learn how to deal with how they feel correctly and effectively in their families when they were young. So the second skill that you have to learn in the family is how to handle conflict. Again, if you don't learn how to handle conflict in your family, you're going to have problems later in life, specifically your marriage. You know, what happens is that most people in conflict become either a skunk or a turtle. Skunks, when they're upset, they let everybody know it, right? They just stink up the place, they spray everywhere, and everybody knows that they're ticked off. What does a turtle do? A turtle pulls into their shell and isolates and pulls back out of the fear of conflict. But here's the interesting thing. Skunks always marry turtles. I mean, don't look at them now. Don't do that. (laughs) But you know, one of you is a skunk and one of you is a turtle in your marriage. And it's true of every single marriage. One of you is the aggressor and one of you is naturally going to pull back. But neither of these is a more godly approach. So neither of you have the higher upper hand or upper ground morally because they're both pretty ineffective ways to deal with conflict. Now, if kids don't see their parents working out their problems in front of them, showing them that this is how we deal with this and this is how we deal with our differences, this is how we deal when we get hurt, how we deal when we get mad, they're going to have a problem later in life. So it's important that they see you handling conflict properly. Bring them into the issues if, they're, if their age is appropriate enough for them to come into them so they can see how you handle those. The third thing that, that's a really big one you have to learn in your family is how to handle loss. This is really important because, guys, know this. You're going to have a lot of losses in life. 
big and small ones. And we have to teach our kids, and even parents have to learn to grieve loss because nobody wins all the time. I mean, you don't actually, in fact, you don't want your kid to win all the time because when they get into the real world and they face the inevitable losses, it's going to be devastating for them if they don't know how to deal with it. They're going to have to learn that failure won't kill you, that it won't destroy you, and that you can't win at everything. You know, there's another board game that we played a lot growing up. You guys remember this one? Shoots and Ladders, right? You guys remember that one? Yes? A lot of hands. Okay, that's good enough. You know, this is a metaphor for life because life is a matter of shoots and ladders. The fact is that in life, sometimes you're going to go up and you're going to have some great successes, but don't get full of pride. Don't get your ego, let your ego get in the way because on your next turn, you might just have to kind of swing on down. And that's the way life is. A game like this teaches things like, wait for your turn. What a concept. You guys ever notice the people that cut you off in the freeway that don't want to wait for their turn? It teaches things like teamwork. But the main thing that it teaches is how to win graciously and that losing is not going to destroy you. That there's going to come a time in life where you're going to get to go up again. It's just temporary. It's just part of life. There's a great scripture in Proverbs 24. And I think I want to encourage you guys to all learn the scripture. It says that even if good people fall seven times, they will get back up again. It says that the best people, well-intentioned people, that they stumble, that they mess up, they say the wrong things, they, they do the wrong things, that they fall. We all stumble. We all mess up. And when we fall, that's not the important thing. It says that good people get back up even if they fall seven times. That's the difference, folks, between success and failure. You know, that verse is talking about what psychologists call resilience. And resilience is one of the most important characteristics for a child if they're going to succeed in life. Do they have the ability to get back up again? That's resilience. The fourth thing that we can learn from our families is that we learn what values matter most. You have to help your kids know what's important and what's not important. I mean, can we all agree this morning that the world is teaching our kids values that aren't very good? Can we ever, everyone agree uh, on that one? Because all around us, the world is teaching our kids values that we don't agree with. You know, things that, that says that what matters most is how you look. That image is everything. That it doesn't matter what your character is, it's how you look. The world teaches that the more money you have, the more important you are. The more successful you are, the more fulfilled life you're going to have. The more significant your life is going to be. The world teaches that everything is about sex. The world teaches that the more you can get people to praise you, the more valuable that you're going to be. And folks, not one of these things are true. You know, our kids are learning a lot of values from movies and video games and songs and their friends and, and our culture, none of which are true. It is important to teach our kids the three basic temptations of life. The only good thing that you can say about Satan is that he is entirely predictable. And he doesn't have any new temptations for us. There's only three temptations that the Bible talks about. It is the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
It has to do with how I feel, what I do, and what I get in life. Basically, it's talking about sex, salary, and status. And it's saying that life is about three things. Getting all of the good things that you can, all of the possessions, having all the pleasure that you want, regardless of how it may hurt yourself and others, and becoming as important as you can to have the highest status you can possibly achieve. That's position. And these are the three temptations that Jesus went through, the same temptations that Moses went through, Adam went through, and guess what? Now we're going through. They're the exact same ones. You guys notice that every advertisement out there appeals to one of these three temptations? And teaching our kids what they are so that they can recognize false values, that what matters most in life is not sex, money, and power, that's an important thing that we have to do for them. Let me give you a third symbol of an awesome family. The third symbol of an awesome family is a raincoat. Now, what is a raincoat for? It's to protect you from the rain. It's to protect you from storms. Matthew says, and Jesus said this himself, it rains on both those who do right and those who do wrong. That basically means that good things and bad things come into everyone's life, whether they're doing it right or doing it wrong. So the next time that you have a problem and you start to think that God is probably punishing you, remember that the Bible says that bad things happen to good people and happen to bad people. I mean, good and bad people. And that's because we're in a broken world. Now, every member of your family is going to go through some storms of life. That's just inevitable. We all go through them, from emotional to financial storms, from moral to physical storms, from relational storms to conflict. I mean, you can't go through life without a storm hitting you because it rains on both the good and the bad. Those who are trying to do the right thing and those who couldn't care less. So when you go through a storm, you're going to need some protection. You're going to need some covering when the rains and the thunder and the lightning and the, and the hail and the snow. You're going to need a raincoat. Families are meant to be that raincoat in the storms of life. Write this down. Awesome families protect each other. Awesome families protect each other. Ecclesiastes says this, two are better than one. If one of them falls, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, it's just too bad because there is no one who help him up. You know, in the storms of life, you need other people to help you get through the tough times. No matter which of your family members is going through a storm, we have to help each other. We have to protect each other's families stick together. Families are like a raincoat. And by the way, it's sometimes it's not just the kids who need our protection. Sometimes it's the mom or the dad and going through a tough time. So we all need to rally around them at the time and we need to put a raincoat on them. And sometimes it's the grandma or the grandpa who need the protection and the roles sometimes are reversed in our families. You know, here's what Psalm says, and it's very important for us because it says, do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. And I mentioned this this morning is because there are many people here who are going into that stage of life, or many people here now have parents that are going into that stage of life. But at the same time, the parents now need the care and those roles are reversed. But let me tell you, folks, that's what family is. That's called family. Families are for life when we have to protect our loved ones no matter what stage of life they're going into. Awesome families are playful 
They encourage growth and they protect each other. And the fourth one is, is really important. It's, it's probably the most important one for me in my personal life. This is what makes the difference between an average family and an awesome family. And that is, you guys see it, it's a globe. Now, how in the world does this represent an awesome family? Well, that's because awesome families don't just care about themselves. They care about others and they actually care about the entire world. You see, anybody can just care for their family. That's natural and easy to do. But awesome families don't just focus on themselves. They focus on others. You know, the secret that moves you from average to awesome is that you begin to care more about not just your own family, but everyone else's as well. In fact, awesome families serve God and others. Awesome families serve God and others. Actually, we serve God by serving others. Awesome families teach their kids that it's not all about you. You are not the center of attention. You are not everything that revolves around you. You know, they teach their kids that you were made and shaped by God for a mission. And one of those missions that God has for all of us, including our children, is the mission to reach a lost world and to serve a world. You know, my, my family, you guys know, we grew up pretty poor. And yet my mother, for whatever reason, somehow she managed to help people all the time. I'm not sure how she did it, but she was always helping people out. She would say things like, where three people can eat, there a fourth one could be added. So because of that, there was always people at our house. All the time, I remember that growing up, and all I would ever have in my house was people. When they were hurting, they were at our house. When they were moving and going from one place to another, they were passing by our house, they were at our house. When they were in conflict and they couldn't stay in their house, they were at our house. And I remember all of that because I was the youngest, and I was always getting displaced to go sleep wherever. So I kind of hated it. But guess what? That's what was modeled to us as children. The Bible says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That is what awesome families do. We teach each other to show love and we teach each other to show good deeds. You see, good deeds are called, it's another word for it is ministry. You could also call it service. And a good example of this is a family in the book of Acts. There was this guy named Cornelius, and he and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. They gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. What a great legacy, don't you think, that you would be mentioned in the Bible for just doing that? Wouldn't you like to have someone write that about you and your family? Awesome families model dedication, they model service, they model generosity, and they model prayer. That's what awesome families do. You know, one, one of the moms at this church asked her, her kids that very same question is, what is your greatest memory growing up? And without hesitation, her two boys said this, going on a mission trip as a family was their greatest memory. Now, again, this family has gone on some pretty nice vacations. They have a lot of cool stuff to do and fun things to do. And the son picks going to Juarez? That's not my pick. <laughs> I, be, I go there all the time. But think about it. What does that tell us about what our kids are going to remember later in life? We must teach them that serving and generosity is one of the most important things that they can do. And we have to teach it to them by modeling it for them. 
Encourage them to give of themselves and their resources. Even at an early age, teach them to give away their toys. Teach them to go serve the homeless. Teach them that it's not all about them. That is what an awesome family does. And this is what we do as a church. We are a family as a church. That's what we do. And there are all kinds of ministries here at this church that you can get involved in with your family, with your kids, at every age, at every stage of life. Let me close with a couple of verses. The first one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It is another model of a great family, an awesome family. And it says, remember Stephanus and his family. They were the first to become Christian in Greece, and they are spending their lives helping and serving Christians everywhere. What I'm saying is this. Awesome families are not perfect families, but they are intentional. They become awesome by choice. You're not an awesome family by accident. You, you have to become an awesome family by making choices, making decisions, making commitments, and even making sacrifices sometimes. So my challenge for you today is simple, insane, but probably difficult to do. And that is that no matter what stage in life your family is in, that you make the rest of it the best of it. And it begins by making a choice to commit not only yourself, but your entire family to God. The Bible says in Joshua 24, choose today whom you will serve. Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to serve society? Are you going to choose values over money? Are you going to serve money? Choose today whom you will serve. But Joshua said, but as for me and my house, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we are just humbled by your word this morning. Lord, we're challenged by your word this morning. Father, don't let us walk out of this place without reconciling and responding to what you've already placed in our hearts this moment. And if you're here this morning, and if you want to commit yourself or recommit your family to God, it doesn't matter if you're the mom or the dad. If you're the child here, you can still commit yourself and your family to God. And if that's you, why don't you pray this prayer in your heart where it says, Heavenly Father, I want to have an awesome family. I want to be part of an awesome family. And I know that I won't have either if I just live for myself. So, Father, today I give my family and myself to you. Lord, as for me and my house, we will serve you. Father, I want my family to be a place of, of fun, not just a work and negativity. I want my family to be a place where we encourage each other and that we, where we grow constantly. Father, help me to protect my family through the storms of life. Father, I want my family to, to serve you by serving others. Help me to teach my kids to be generous by modeling generosity to God and to others. Father, I can't do this on my own. So I ask that you take complete control of every area of my life today and pray that as I commit my family to you, that you would guide the way. And Father, those of the people here this morning that prayed that prayer, Father, 
I just ask with an expectant heart, not because of me, Lord, but because your word says that when we ask for our heart's desire, that you would give us our heart's desire. I just pray that you would just be with every single person as they walk out of these doors so that they can start becoming or continuing to be awesome families. I pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.